Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today, I want to talk to you about a message that I've been thinking about for at least six months. But I want to talk to you about receiving the promises of God. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, how many promises there are, um, I really could not tell you. I have read on more than one occasion that there's 7,000 promises in the Bible. Uh, I think 1,000 is enough. But here's what I know for sure, right? Whatever your need is, there is a promise that covers your case, right? Now, I say that because of 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, when we receive from God, we receive, how can we say this? We receive from God through faith, right? And faith is dependent on knowledge. You can't have faith for what you don't know about, right? So grace and peace are going to be multiplied through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen to this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, this isn't something God is going to do. This is something he has already done. Notice it says, has given to us. And I was never really good at English at all. Right? But I do know has given is past tense. So this isn't something you're going to do or God is going to do. This is something that God has done. What, what Christians need to understand is that faith does not move God. Your faith does not get God to do anything. He's already done it all. And it's all things that pertain to life. That's your natural life. That has to do with your food. That has to do with your business. That has to do with your family. That has to do with your temporal needs. And godliness has to do with your spiritual life. So everything you need for your natural life, everything you need for your spiritual life, he has provided. It's not going to be done. It's already been done. <clears throat> so you say, oh, God, save my Uncle John. He's already saved John. He went to the cross. He bore his, he bore his, his sin on the cross. He rose from the dead and obtained victory. Now, what Uncle John needs to do is receive it, right? <clears throat> but there's nothing else God needs to do because it's already been done. Now, the same thing is true when it comes to healing. Right? By his stripes, healing was purchased for us. Isaiah chapter 53. See, it's already done. But what we have to do is receive it. Now, 
Here's what we typically do. Most people have what I would call experiential theology. So imagine we have 10 people up front, right? And we come by, each one of them is sick, and we pray for all 10 people. And we afterwards, we say, did you receive your healing? 10 people say, yep, I'm healed. And seven people say, no, don't feel any different. And this is where people get their theology. God heals 30% of the time. Now, we're basing our theology on somebody's experience. But we need to base our theology based on God's word. Now, some of you, you need to think about that. But he has given to us by his divine power. All things that pertain to knowledge through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. What have been given to us? Exceeding great and precious promises. Right? These are things that God has said in his word belong to you, that Jesus purchased for you exceeding great and precious promises that through these we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now, Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. Now, again, faith does not get God to do something that he hasn't done. Everything as God has done is by grace. That means it's unmerited. You do not deserve it. How many of you know what I deserve and you deserve? Hell. That's what we deserve. Right? But it's by grace. It means we did not earn it. We didn't work for it. We don't deserve it. It's unmerited. It is a gift. That's all that God has done to provide for you everything you need for life and godliness. But you receive it by faith. In other words, you've got to to know what belongs to you, right? And you've got to exercise faith to receive what belongs to you. Faith only receives what God has already done or promised. In other words, I cannot go, God, I believe for 10,000 oil wells. There is no verse for 10,000 oil wells. Hello. There is a verse that he'll meet my needs, that he'll provide for me. There's a verse for that, but there's no 10,000 oil well verse. So what does that mean? That means I can't believe for 10,000 oil wells because all I can believe for is what he has already done, what he has promised. Exceeding great and precious promises. So faith doesn't move God. Faith receives what God has already done. Um, I, I hope you, it took me 20 years to grab that. Right? And, and, and there is a huge, huge difference. So what we need is we need to know what has been provided for us. What are these exceeding great and precious promises? I've had people come up and ask for prayer. And I will say something to this effect. 
Well, what, what are you believing? Well, I'm believing for this. Well, what verse are you standing on? Which promise are you believing? And, and they'll go, well, you know, just that God's good. Well, isn't there, there's a verse someplace, you know, about, about God helping. And other people would just say, well, I'm not standing on any verse in particular. Well, listen, that's exactly what you're going to get. Nothing in particular. You say, why? Because God, listen, God does chapter and verse. People, you never know what God's going to do. Yes, you do. He's going to do exactly what he said. That's what God's going to do. He's going to do what he said. Uh, Mark chapter 16, last verse. I think it's verse 20. It says, God confirmed the word with signs following. What's God going to do? He's going to do the word. God is not schizophrenic. You understand that the sun never comes up in the West. God does not say, well, today I think I'm just going to turn gravity off. No, he doesn't do that. All right. God is going to do what he said. So what we've got to do is know what he said, because faith is dependent on knowledge. So Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So we were, we're saved by grace, but it's through faith. Faith is our response to what God has already done. Right? God said in Jeremiah 1 and 12, I love the King James the best. It says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. I'm watching over my word to perform it. Uh, Psalms 138 and verse 2 says, For you've magnified your word above your name. In other words, God says, If I don't do what I said I would do, I am not God. So listen here to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Then another quotation from the Old Testament, another promise. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, having these what? Promises. What God has spoken in his word is a promise to you and to me. By the way, David called them benefits. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are they? Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Again, uh, chapter four of Luke, we find Jesus. He, he goes to his hometown of Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And the Bible says that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He found the place where it was written. He found a promise. He found a scripture. And he's going to, this is what he's going to do. He's going to say, this scripture is true. And this true scripture is true today. And this scripture is true about me. Right? But he found the place where it's written. 
It's amazing to me how many Christians do not know what God has promised them, what Jesus has purchased for you in your death, burial, and resurrection. Because God did it by grace, but you receive it through faith. And just like Jesus found the place where it's written, you got to find the place where it's written. After the first service, I was walking out in the foyer and a, a man came up to me and he says, I need to know. He said, I need a promise. He said, uh, I've been diagnosed with such and such a sickness. He said, but I need a promise from God. He said, which promise shall I stand on? And I said, well, if I was you, I would stand on Psalms 103, verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, of my soul, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities and he heals all. How many? All of your diseases. That makes it as clear as can be. Healing belongs to you. I said, you need to get that down on the inside in your heart. Right? You've got to believe it. You've got to know it. You've got to be, as the Bible actually says, fully convinced right, that that is what God is going to do. So Jesus found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Right? Today, this scripture is true. And this scripture is true about me. That's exactly what Jesus said. This scripture is true about me. You see, you need to believe that the Bible is true. But a lot of people believe it's true and it's true for somebody else. But it's got to be true for you. And that's exactly what Jesus said. You know, in the book of Philemon, it's just a short little book in the Bible. Um, in the sixth verse, it says that communication of your faith may become effectual. It's like supercharged by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus or in Christ, right? Listen, 130 times in your New Testament, it says in him, in Christ, in whom, in the beloved. And that's where you are. You're in him. You're in Christ. You're in the beloved. And 130 times it tells you what he has done for you, what belongs to you today, right? But it says you've got to acknowledge it. It's amazing to me how many Christians will not boldly make a statement. This is what the Bible says. It is true and it belongs to me. And I come against every lie. I come against every circumstance. I come against every attack of the devil. And what belongs to me is what Jesus purchased for me. And it's mine today, now, Jesus' name. Go, devil, go, symptoms, go. You got to be bold. You got to acknowledge 
what belongs to you in Christ. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. You've got to you've got to say, no, I'm not having this because this is what Jesus provided for me. This is God's promise for me. Now, in Numbers chapter 13, I want to use this as a, an Old Testament example, and I might get to a New Testament one as well. Right? But God has told the children of Israel, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. I'm bringing you to the promised land, and I am giving you the land. No one will be able to stand before you. He said, I have given you the land. So they get to the edge of the land. They get to this place called Kadesh Barnea, and they decide to send some spies to check out the land. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back the word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, by the way, the fruit of the land, they've got a cluster of grapes, right? And they're carrying it on a pole. You've maybe even seen a picture of this. Right? The grapes are so big, a cluster is so big, it takes two men to carry a cluster of grapes. I think they have great grapes at Costco, but I can carry a whole lots of clusters. Right? But this cluster is so big, they have to carry it on a pole between two guys. I mean, the grapes are like watermelons, you know, cut it open, take the seed out. Um, th- 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 these are, okay, that, you get the picture. This is the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. And truly, it flows like milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, it's kind of like, but, but, I, I know God said he'd provide, but man, Inflation is eating it all up. Um, things are bad. Gas prices are going to go going up. Man, I went to this store. I used to get along with this much money, but now I can't even hardly feed my family. I know God said he'd provide, but... Yep. Okay, we went into the land where you sent us, and truly it flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Nevertheless, but the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Pepsilites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against them, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. And by the way, bad report was God said, I've given it to you. And they said, we can't. When God says you're blessed and you say you're not, it's a bad report. The land through which we've gone to spy is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people who we saw in the land were men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. 
Now, here's what happens. There's two million Israelites, and they listen to the report. And the Bible says that they begin to cry out, and they begin to weep. And they say, if we had only died in Egypt, now we've come here, and our wives and our children are going to become victims. This is what we should do. We can't take the land. So let's select a leader, and let's go back to Egypt. And this is what God said. He said, as you've spoken in my ear, so I'm going to do to you. Every one of you from 20 years and above that have complained, that have murmured, that haven't believed what I said, you're not going to receive what I said. You're going to die. And all of your children that you said are going to become victims, I'm going to take them in to possess the land. So this is what God said. They said there were two people, Joshua and Caleb, who said, let us go up at once and take possession. We're well able. 40 years come and go. Every one of those 2 million people from 20 years old and above is dead. They said, we can't go in. Except for Joshua and Caleb. God said they had a different spirit. You say, what spirit? The spirit of faith. And those two went in because they believed and they said, we are able to go in. Let us go up at once. God's on our side. God will give us victory. Now, it's interesting that God's promise was for everybody. Was it not? But out of two million people, only two people believed and received the promise. Now, most people would say this. Well, God only does. God only blesses certain people. You know what that is? That's experiential theology. God had that blessing for everybody. That promised land was for everybody. But the only ones who received it were the ones who went in, who, the one who, who said, we can go in, we can take possession. In Hebrews 4, it talks about this situation. It says this. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God had said, it's yours. I'm going with you. No one must be able to stand before you. But they did not believe it. And because they didn't believe it, they didn't receive it. In Psalms 138, again, verse 2. For you've magnified your word above all your name. Here was the report after they later went in and took possession. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Not one word that he promised them failed to come to pass. But there was a whole generation that did not receive it. And the Bible says in Hebrews, because they did not mix what they heard with faith. So Hebrews chapter six, because all of these promises go back to Genesis where God meets with Abraham. And it talks about us here in the New Testament. And, and I want to kind of unpack this for just a moment. In verse 12, it says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice, don't become sluggish. 
Don't just sit back and go, well, God's got my email. He wants to bless me. He knows where I'm at. God, God can bless me if he wants to. Don't be sluggish. All right? Don't just sit back and think, well, whatever. Right? I think it's interesting. We'll get back to Hebrews. In the, in the book of Joshua, I read this this morning. They're dividing up the land. And they're dividing it by lot. Basically, you know, they're, they're like throwing the dice. Who gets which piece of land? Right? And Caleb is 80 years old now. And he walks in and everybody is just like throwing the dice. Well, whatever I get, I get. And Caleb said, listen. He said, 40 years ago, Moses promised me the land. He said, and I don't want just any piece of land. I want that piece. He said, when I went through the land, that was my favorite part. And I want my favorite part. And everybody else just got whatever showed up. But you know what Caleb got? He got exactly what he believed for. He got exactly. There's just a lot of Christians that just sit back and like, well, whatever. You know what? You can grab a promise. And you can receive the promise. Right? Because he's watching over his word to perform it. That you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abram, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. That's us. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath so that by two immutable things in which is it impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Here's what it's saying. It's saying God's promise. You can count on that promise because of two things. Number one, God can't lie. And number two, God swore by himself. In other words, God said, if I don't do this, I'm not God. He said, because God did those two things, you can be sure that you are sure that you are sure. You can be fully convinced that he will do exactly what he said he will do. If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, verse 29, and heirs according to the promise. The promise that God made to Abraham is the same promise that belongs to you. And just as sure as he was faithful to Abraham, he will be faithful to you. Psalms 89, 34, my covenant, I will not break nor alter the word that's going out of my mouth. God said that covenant, I will not break it. And I will not alter the word that I've spoken. So let's go to uh, Romans chapter four a minute. And again, here is the promise to Abraham. As it is written, God said to Abraham, 
I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into the existence the things that do not exist. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God gives life to the dead and he calls into existence things that do not exist. So he comes to a man named Abram. His name literally means a prince. And he changes his name to Abraham, father of a multitude. How many children does Abram have? Zero. But God changes his name to father of a multitude. And every time he's introducing himself, every time somebody's talking to him and they say, Prince, he says, no, 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 no. My name is the father of a multitude. And God has said to him, your, your descendants, they're going to be like the stars of the sky. Spiritual descendants. And like the sand on the sea, whether it's daytime or nighttime. Abraham constantly has a reminder. God has said, I've made you the father of a multitude, of, a, of nations. All right? He gives life to the dead and he calls into existence things that don't exist. Literally, Abraham is calling himself the father of multitudes before he has a single child. Now, I, 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 I'm, I hope this illustration will help you. Uh, we, we, we don't have a dog right now, but we used to have a dog. We had the best dog on planet Earth. All right? Do we have a picture of our dog? Did we find that picture? Jeannie? No, yes. Do we have a picture? I, I can't see. Is that where? Let me, let me see that picture. No, that's. God, I hate that. So, 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 so is there a picture? Do we have the picture of her dog? You, I don't see the picture. But anyway, I'm going to say this dog. Oh, okay. But you don't have the dog smiling. Oh, okay. But li li listen, I kid you not. When I would call the dog and she would come, she would smile. She was so happy. She was wonderful. I loved to fish with me. All right. We also had a cat. I did not like the cat. The, the cat was supposed to like be the barn cat, you know, and like take care of the mice and, and what. But that cat would get in the garage, climb on my John Deere tractor and scratch my tractor and then get on my truck and scratch my truck. And I hated that cat. That cat it disappeared. Um, I, I'm going to say that I was accused of making that cat. I did not make the cat. I, prom I did not make the cat disappear. It was an answer to prayer. <laughs> but, but, but because I did not like the cat. Okay. So I'm just, just so you know, I, I never called that cat once, but I called the dog. Now, the reason I called the dog was because the dog was not there. Right? But when I would call the dog, the dog would come, right? 
and I would pet the dog, and the dog would smile. All right? But I called the dog because the dog wasn't there. Now, I'm going to read this again. He gives life to the dead, and he calls into existence the things that do not exist. All right? See, God is speaking something that does not exist yet. But because he speaks it, it comes into existence. God said to Abram, your name now is the father of a multitude. And just like God called something into existence that did not exist, Abram begins to speak something that is not in existence. But what he does by speaking it, calling it, he literally brings it out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm, right? Somebody says, well, I can't say I'm healed when I don't feel healed. Well, you should call something that's not into existence. You begin to speak that promise of God and you literally call it out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he was told, so shall your offspring be. And he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old, nor when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, right? That's what faith is. It's fully convinced. Now, he didn't ignore the fact that he and Sarah were past childbearing age. He didn't ignore that fact. But that fact did not move him. What moved him was God's promise. And he grew strong in faith. He didn't start out strong in faith. He grew strong in faith. How giving glory to God. Saying, God, I thank you that your word is going to come true. You promised me a child, and I believe I'm going to have a child. I am going to become the father of a multitude. God, I thank you. You said you'd heal all my diseases. I know the doctor said this, but God, I believe what you said, that you're my healer, that this sickness cannot stay in my body, and I stand against this sickness. I thank you. You're the healer. You're the deliverer, that your word is true, and that I receive what you promised, that you're working to bring your word to pass in my life. You're confirming your word with signs following. Woo! Thank you, Lord. I am healed. He grew strong in faith. Again, it surprises me how many Christians will never acknowledge who they are in Christ and take the authority that God has given them. The Bible literally says that, that it will like supercharge your faith, right? We need to do that. But he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that's where you and I need to be, fully convinced that God is able and God will do today 
for you what he has promised. And all of the promises are yes. And all of the promises are amen in him, in Christ. And that's exactly where you are. You are in Christ. So would you bow your heads for just a moment? When I look at a group of this size, this is what I know. I know there's people that have lived for God for decades. And there are people that right now you are, your heart is you. I want to come back to God, but I have drifted away and I've been living for myself. We're going to pray together in just a moment. And, and when you pray this prayer from your heart, you're going to reconnect. You're coming back to God with all your heart. But there's, there's people that are here that you don't even know where you stand with God. If I say, are you a Christian? You say, I, I, I'm trying to be. I hope I am. I, will you go to heaven when you die? You say, well, I, I guess I'll find out when I die. I, I hope so. But the Bible says we've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. You see, we are not supposed to live our life and die and find out if we make it to heaven. The Bible says we've written these things that you can know, that you have, that you know you're right with God. You know you're forgiven. You know that you're on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be. So Romans 10, verse 13 says, whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. We are going to call on his name the way that the Bible shows us to call on his name. And then this is the promise in this verse, will be saved. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when you say amen, you're going to be forgiven and you're going to be right with God. You're going to be saved. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head, to pray this prayer out loud from your heart. All right? Would you just repeat this? Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm living for Jesus. I receive Jesus as my King, as my Lord, and I'm living for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that my past is gone. And I am now a part of your family, a part of your kingdom, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.